The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. So I'm, I'm always so thankful for the worship team that seeks to pray over the songs that we sing so that they're relevant and prepare our hearts that we're not just singing songs but that we're um that we're praying that we're that we're preparing our hearts uh and asking god to prepare our hearts for the things that he wants to show us and teach us and change in us and so i I love that the opening song we sang was uh, our great god and this is so uh this is so pertinent for today eternal god unchanging mysterious and unknown your boundless love unfailing in grace and mercy shown. Don't you love that? Don't you love that, that God's love and mercy and grace is not fickle? It doesn't change. He's not like shifting shadows. It says in, in Hebrews 13:8 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that Jesus said, you know, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, in Hebrews, it tells us that he's the exact imprint of the Father. And so, you know, we have this, this perception within culture, maybe even in the church, that uh, the God of the Old Testament is full of wrath and judgment and merciless. And the God of the New Testament, he's loving and he overlooks sin and he, he, you know, he's okay with anything. And, and, and that could be, couldn't be further from the truth. God, is, God doesn't change. The, the mercy of the cross administers God's grace. Now, Jesus said, I came to fulfill but not to abolish the law. And now, because of the cross, we, we, uh, we're ushered into his presence, not in a fickle way, but a permanent way. And now we can come before the throne of grace with confidence and assurance. But what I want to look at this morning is that, you know, this, 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 this perception that God in the Old Testament is just this, this vengeful, wrathful God. And there, man, let's, let's not mistake this. God is just. He is just. And as Romans tells us in chapter 5, but he's not only just, he's just a fire. And aren't we thankful? That, you know, as it says in, in Isaiah 53, that, that he took our place. He took our iniquities. He took our shame, our curse. He paid the price. He suffered the debt that was due us. And he willingly did that so that we might be ushered into his presence. We might know firsthand this mercy, this loving mercy that has no bounds, limits. And I love that we also sang this morning that he knows the depth of our heart. He knows our faults and failures and desperately loves us. Anyway, he's not fickle in that regard. And one of the things that Jonah shows us is that this is a God of boundless compassion and mercy. He desires more than the prophet is willing or wanting. He desires to show his mercy to this violent people, these people that have been so arrogant and so abusive, not only to Israel and other nations, but even within their own people. 
just vicious, vicious folks. And God's heart is that they would come to repentance, come to know the mercy and grace of God. And Jonah, as we know, is resistant to this because, uh, which reveals that he has some rich, seated anger, hatred, and unforgiveness as it relates to the Syrians. Well, we have to understand that Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. He's the fifth in the line of minor prophets. Very early in Israel's history, Jonah comes to the stage. He is the prophet under the king Jeroboam II. This this king was having great success uh, in uh, coming out of this Assyrian oppression uh, that, uh, or, or Armenian oppression, and, uh, but the Assyrians were starting to uh, apply pressure and to bring their relentless approach to, uh, to, to vicious war um, uh, to, uh, to the nation of Israel. And, uh, and Jonah was not foreign to this experience. Jonah had, had experienced a lot of the pain and the hatred and the, the violence, both personally and within his, 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 uh, his nation. And he hated them and wanted nothing to do with them. And when God calls him, he says no. In fact, Jonah doesn't run to obedience. He runs in the absolute opposite direction, doesn't he? He runs not to God's appointed plan, not even you know, embracing or understanding. He literally, this is, we have to understand how far he runs. So uh, in geography, Jerusalem's coastline has a city called Joppa and it's on the Mediterranean and he heads to Joppa. Now keep in mind, Nineveh is in the northeast uh, in the Assyrian over by uh, the, the, the river Euphrates and, and Jonah heads due west, gets on a boat and heads for Tarshish which is the southern part of Spain. I mean, it couldn't be further on the Mediterranean, over 5,400 nautical miles. He is, he is like the prodigal son who is getting, gathering all that he had because he's not coming back. He wants nothing to do with God's plan and with these Assyrian people in the capital city of Nineveh. Now, in order for us to kind of relate here for just a moment, I, I want you to, to imagine um, a missionary being called in the midst of the Holocaust, a Jewish missionary, much like Jonah, being called in the midst of the Holocaust, in the midst of the gas chambers and all of the, the horrific acts that Hitler and his people did. And, and uh, if the prophet knew the heart of God was to forgive and reconcile and and, and, and completely uh, wash away the sin uh, of, uh, of Hitler and the, and the Nazi regime. Um, can you imagine how hard that would be for a Jewish person to do? Or maybe, maybe on the other side of 9-11, maybe you've felt a little bit of the, the angst, the, the hatred, the animosity at the very least towards the terrorist organizations uh, that have been listed. And God has such a heart of compassion, grace, and mercy that he wants that none should perish. And he actually sends Jonah. Do you, do you think that God doesn't know what's in Jonah's heart? Do you think in his sovereignty that God doesn't know that Jonah's going to even run? 
He knows all of that. And what's interesting in Jonah 1, 1 and 2 is that God calls Jonah to this mission. And why? Because God knows what's in Jonah's heart and God wants to heal that because all of that is going to lead to a destructive place, a hurtful place, a painful place. And so God's objective is to heal not only the nation of, of Assyria and the, and the city of Nineveh. By the way, the city of Nineveh, chapter 3, tells us that this city is huge. Like, it takes three days to march through it, right? And, and we also get a little bit of the backdrop of Jonah's heart, even when he was back home, when God stated what he wanted him to do, right? In chapter 3, we, we see Jonah show up. He offers eight words, you know, that, that destruction's coming. And, uh, and they turn and repent, right? Sackcloth and ashes, total, cons- they're, they're confessing, repenting of their sin. And then the king gets wind of it. He, he ushers in a, a citywide fast. Even the animals have to fast. I mean, they are serious. And at the end of chapter three, God relents of what he has threatened to do. I need a volunteer. I need someone to uh, please stand and read for me the first several verses of chapter 4. Would somebody be willing to do that? Jonah chapter 4. All right. Since you've already been reading today, way, way to go. Diana's going to read that for us. Jo- I'll stop you. Just uh, Jonah chapter 4. Now listen, what's happening here is the city of Nineveh has repented. This is exactly what Jonah feared. Um, And they're turning to God, sackcloth and ashes, humble themselves, and they are turning to God. And then listen to what starts in the first part of chapter 4. Perfect. Perfect. Diana, thank you so much. So this is, it says he was exceedingly angry and disappointed. What happened? People turned to God. People's sins were were relieved of them. They they had turned to to the God of Israel. And, and it says that Jonah is ticked off. He's angry. He's upset. And then he basically says, this is exactly what I knew you would do as a God of compassion. I knew you would do this. And basically he's stating, he said, when I was home, right? When I was at home, I told you, I knew you were going to do this. And this is exactly why I headed off to Tarshish. So we get kind of the backdrop uh, going into chapter 1 of what happened when Jonah was told uh, to be God's instrument in this situation. You ever been there? You ever, you ever been given a word from the Lord? Scriptures kind of speak to a circumstance in your life or there's a, there's a situation that God, you know in your heart you're being stirred and provoked to do something about, to give lavishly or generously or to go and share the good news. But in Jonah's mind, he's like, they don't deserve it. And the other side of that coin in that statement is, but I do. (laughs) Right? Because here we have this perception that Hitler is way over here, right? And God is way over here. And I'm, I'm pretty good. Right? We have this perception that I'm not as bad as that guy. And I know I'm not as good as God is or wants me to but guys here's the truth if hitler's if hitler's here we're here we have to understand like that we we don't warrant god's love and grace 
It is, and mercy, it is given to us as a grace. It's given, it's bestowed upon us because this is the nature and the heart of God. And really, God's not here. Take infinity, he's there. And that's how far short we fall. And if we ever have this mindset that anybody is undeserving of God's grace and forgiveness, man, listen, I get it. I get it. Let's be realistic. There are painful moments in life. People do some horrific things. But aren't we moved when a church that is, that is riddled by a gunman walking through the door and killing their pastor in the Carolinas? Aren't we moved when this church comes together and seeks to love and embrace and reconcile and minister to the family? Aren't we moved when there's this I, I was in England and saw, what's the name of that place, Cindy? What's that? Coventry. So this is a place that was bombed during the war in, Britain, in England. And what happened was at the end of the war, there was, uh, there was a desire to, to um, just to help out, to minister to where the, the brokenness of bombs and all of this had, had ravaged uh, the town. And basically they came in and Coventry was built, but they left the, they, they left the old bombed out building. And what you, when you walk through this place, there's all of these testimonies of people that have expressed radical forgiveness in the midst of difficult, hard circumstances. The one that sticks out for me, there was this mom that had lost her son to a drunk driver. And she literally had the wreckage of the car made into a bust of Jesus' head. And it, it, was, it was beautiful. And, it was on, and then right below it is the story of how she, she went in and defended the guy that had been drunk in the drunk driving accident and, and reached out to him and loved him and ministered to him and then f- later on embraced him as her own. I mean, these stories really go against the, the, the uh, average plot in the American movie. That when, you know, when vengeance is had, you know, we celebrate. I mean, our flesh loves that, but God is not that way. God loves his enemy, and aren't you thankful? I know I am. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners and tax collectors do such things. But be like your heavenly father, right? Who sends the the, the sun and the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous, the evil and the good. Love, love your enemies. Because it's the hatred and unforgiveness that destroys us. And God is wanting to heal his prophet and make him an instrument of healing. So Jonah is back at the ranch, and God gives him this, 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 uh, this calling and tells him to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no, there's no way. I, my, I mean, his prejudice at the very least, his hatred at the very at most accurately, just forbid him to make that and he chooses radical obedience, disobedience to God, rather than see God heal these, these people that he hated. 
Well, let's look at the text from chapter 1 just to, just to remind us of where we've been for the last two weeks and then we're going to look at Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish. Chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Midai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. We know Jonah's response. But Jonah rose and fl- to flee to Tarshish for, from the presence of the Lord. Can, is that, can that be done? I mean, can we run from the presence of the Lord? I mean, yet many try, right? Many try to, I mean, it's the very thing the prodigal son is described in doing and go into the far off land, thinking that we can get away with murder, that we can, we can do as we please, that we're free from the accountability or the expectation um, of the father. But Jonah rose and he went to Tarshish, thinking that he was fleeing the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish. Away, isn't that a fun word to say, Tarshish? It's kind of fun. Okay, away from the presence of the Lord. So we see that twice, that this is his objective. This is his, this is his motive, and it's, it's, it's poorly devised because it's not realistic. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea because that's what God can do, as we sung about. And then... And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. Now, guys, these, these guys aren't like, you know, fickle fishermen, right? These guys are professional tradesmen that, that have a route um, where they make their, their, their income through carrying cargo. These guys have been on this water and they are afraid. And they each, we know that they're pagan because they each cry out to his own God. And they hurled the cargo, which is a, is a big statement because they're literally giving up on their income. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're saying that, it, that like it's, we're going to die here, so this doesn't matter. There's a higher pr- priority here. So it says, um, then the mariners were afraid, and each one uh, cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it fr- from them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and lay down and was fast asleep. Now guys, I don't know if you've ever been in a disobedient posture with something that God's asked you to do, but it's an, it's an exhausting place. It's a draining, burdensome place. It's weighty. And I, I think quite often, unfortunately, when we are in an obstinate mode that we, we don't seek solitude, we seek isolation. We find ourselves binging in front of the television or just hiding. And it goes back to the garden, really. I mean, the first thing you see when sin enters the equation of humanity is that they hide, try to cover up, and then eventually start blaming one another. And God ultimately just wants us to take responsibility for our sin. That's why he said, where are you? It wasn't like he was unaware. He just wants us to take responsibility for our sin. I believe that Jonah is exhausted in his disobedience and that he seeks isolation. The prophet is no longer with the people. He's, he's buried in the belly of a ship 
and he's about to be buried in the belly of a fish. And so, um, but Jonah had gone down to the inner parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought for us or uh, give a thought to us. So the, immediately what I, I'm, I'm reminded of is a New Testament experience that Jesus had with his disciples. Okay, Jesus is fast asleep, the scripture tells us, in the stern of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. We get details here, right? But we also find out that there's a raging storm going on around him and his disciples, which in large part, we know at least four out of the eight are professional fishermen. I mean, these guys are familiar with the Sea of Galilee and they are freaking out. I mean, this is a serious, serious storm. And they come to Jesus, they arouse him, they wake him up, and they said this, do you not, oh sleeper, like, do you not care that we live or die? That's what they said. What was Jesus' response? Anybody remember? Oh, he said this often. Oh, you of little, oh, not that again. You know, like, oh, you of little, but remember what Jesus does? Like, Jesus steps up. And he says, peace be still. And the winds and the waves, the scripture says there, obey him. And the disciples are quoted as saying, what matter of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? And it says, they were in awe and worshiped him. We see this similarity about to transpire so the captain had come down and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they casted lots and the lot fell to Jonah. We see this often uh, with Achan and others in the Old Testament that people were discovered um, un- unwillingly discovered uh, through the casting of lots. Don't know that I recommend that today. Um, I think with the Holy Spirit, we've got greater counsel and direction in his word. Um, and so, tell us on who, whose account the evil has come to us. What is, what is your occupation? No, oh, sorry, it fell to Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and what are your people? And of what people are you? Now, I think to some degree, they're kind of impressed that all of this is because of you? Like, who are you? Like, where are you from? What's this all about? We find later in the text that, you know, that he told them that he was running from God. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then he said to them, or he said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Gosh, that's a lot. And I got to say it again. Um, So like it just got worse. It got worse. And 
And you know what's interesting? I'll read this part before I mention it. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Like, he knew that. He knew he was the problem. He knew that this, this would be the solution. And yet, what's interesting is that they look to row the boat, extinguish more cargo, do whatever it takes to help save him. And it's funny, here's the prophet of God. He's not interested in saving pagans, and yet the pagans are trying to find a way to save him. Guys, we should be, we should be the mark. The church should be the most ambitious, vibrant, zealous, extravagantly loving, pursuing the rescue of God's people. We don't know. God has appointed many but we don't know, but we've got to get out there and share the mission. You know, Jonah was running from the mission. How are you doing with the Great Commission? Are, are you embracing this mission that God has given to us to go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you? Like, this is the mission, the mission of the church. This is what God's Spirit has given and called us as the church. We're empowered to be witnesses for this purpose. Are we running away from God in this mission? Are we running with God to the mission, the purpose, the plan that God has for us? Interesting, Jonah knew that he was the problem. I, I, have you ever been there? You ever been in a place where you, you know you're not you're not walking with the Lord. You know you're not doing what he's asked of you. You're, you're in this disobedient posture and you know that God's not the problem. God doesn't walk out on us. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. But then the scriptures over and over again, we see it in Isaiah 53, 53 that we're like sheep and we're prone to what? To wander and stray. And, and Jesus beckons his disciples that, listen, this is what you need to do. You need to abide in me. You need to richly, and, and you need to desire to follow me. Do you believe this morning that God's way is better than yours? Because God's way is not always going to be the most peace, peaceful path. Though you will walk in peace, it won't, it won't often bring peaceful relational experiences. Do you know that sometimes God's path, I mean, Jesus' life models, Paul's life models this for us, that that path might be arduous, but it's filled with vibrancy. Let me give you an example. So in Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Philip. Philip uh, was one of the guys that were chosen in Acts chapter 6 to wait on the tables for the, for the widows that were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And, and, and he was chosen along with Stephen as one that was full of wisdom in the Holy Spirit. But after Stephen was stoned, um, you know, we find that, that Philip, even, even before that, um, or at, right after that is correct, he, um, he ends up in Samaria. And he's doing this, I mean, God's doing great things with and through Philip's life. And in the midst of this Samaritan ministry, the, the, the scripture tells us that that God called Philip down the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And you know what's interesting? He doesn't tell him for what or why. 
He just says, go to this road. Um, you know, I, I think about Ananias, you know, when, or Ananias when, when he's asked to go and speak to Paul, who, who saw the treacherous, murderous, you know, Christian killer. And he says, you know, God, you, you sure about that? But yet, I mean, there is, there's, there's, there's potential conflict there. There's, and, and what does Ananias do? He goes and refers to him based in faith in God's word. He calls him Brother Saul. Philip, back to Philip. Philip, when he's asked to go, leave Samaria. Leave this ministry that you're doing that, that I'm blessing and go to the road that leads to Gaza from Jerusalem. You know what it, the scripture tells us he does immediately? He runs to that opportunity. And you know what that leads to? It leads to this conversation with an Ethiopian eunuch that allows him to be invited as he runs up alongside. I mean, this is radical obedience. Runs up alongside his chariot. Okay, this guy's on the way back to Ethiopia. And he runs up alongside his chariot and he hears him reading Isaiah. We know it's 53. And he's invited into the chariot He's, he's asked if this is, like, who is the prophet talking about, himself or another? And he unpacks the gospel, gives him that, hey, it's Jesus, and let me tell you about him. And you know that in close moments, he, is, he has the privilege of baptizing this new believer, and now the gospel is on its way to Ethiopia. And we know, based on today's current news, that the gospel is present in Ethiopia. And guys, you know, I, I, I pose that as a kind of a contrast to Jonah's approach. You know, I know that there's implications that are, that are different in that, you know, with Jonah, there was this hatred that needed to be addressed. And God dealt with that through discipline. So as we continue the text, it says, um, uh, what should we do with you? And the sea may quiet down for us. And the, the sea grew more and more of that word and said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For And here, I underline this because this is so rich. For I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. I know that. So one of the things we have to conclude is this. We don't sin in a vacuum. Our sin affects the people around us and the more profoundly those that are intimate to us. But here's the good news, guys. If we look in chapter 5 of Luke, Peter says these words. After fishing all night, caught nothing. He's tired. He wants to go home, probably sleep. He's discouraged. Jesus asks him to go to deep water and let down his nets for a catch. And Peter's words are this. Because you said so, Lord, we will go. And after they get out of deep water, they let down their nets. What happens? Boat starts to sink. It's so full of fish. And then what does it do? They call James and, and John over and their boat. Guys, when we're obedient to the Lord, not only does our life get filled up, but it overflows into others' lives too. And this is, this is what God's ideal is, is that, that we don't come out of me, but he comes out of me. He overflows out of our life. But that is, that is a byproduct of obedience, often in times where it's difficult, challenging, or we don't even want to. And Jonah, we see right here in the passage, 
because he was disobedient, even strangers were facing the implications of his, own, of his discipline. Because he says, For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land. They're showing more compassion than Jonah has. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Tempestuous. Against them. Therefore, and listen to this, therefore they called out to the Lord. So so here's, here's the crazy thing. Jonah says no God says, yes, and I'm going to get you there anyway. And in the process, we're going to save some pagan sailors. You know, so like God gets it done, even no matter. But here's, here's, here's one of the biggest things. Our disobedience, and this is part of our big idea today. Our disobedience leads to discipline. Now, there's a vast difference biblically between punishment and discipline. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 tells us what? That God disciplines his kids, his children, right? So that they may share in his holiness if they are trained by the discipline, right? Like like God lovingly as a parent disciplines it. And that's very different than punishment. Perfect love casts all fear because it has to do with punishment. Good news this morning, Christ has taken our punishment. Thank you, Jesus that you willingly embrace the pain, the suffering, the curse that was due us. We will never, ever, ever have to face the punishment, but trust me that God disciplines his kids. And do you know what that passage tells us? In fact, uh, Marie, would you just just jump ahead to that? Um, I want to show you in this passage that literally, and this is one of many places, Solomon talks about this to his kids um, in uh, in Proverbs, um, but we, what we have to understand is, is that discipline is a declaration of God's love for us. Discipline actually confirms that we're his kids. Discipline is the loving expression of a God that wants to... Listen, um, did God know what he was doing when he called this obstinate prophet to go to Nineveh? I, I have to conclude, absolutely, right? I mean, he's God. And, and, and what's, what's wonderful about this is that God knows he's going to be disobedient, knows his heart, and what his objective is in this moment is to heal him of his hatred, is to heal him of his prejudice and his brokenness and his unforgiveness. Guys, do you know how dangerous unforgiveness is in your life? Do you know that, that it will literally put us in an unforgiven mode from God? You know, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter, five, chapter 6, 9 to 13, it says this, Lord, for, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Have, past tense. And then later on, as we move on in that passage, it says, if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Because this is the, this is the statement that's made when we don't forgive. We, have, we don't know God's love. We don't know God's mercy. We don't know his character. We, we're not sharing what God has shared with us, what he's given to us. And, and we, it's very dangerous for the church because we can get into this, this holy huddle mentality. You know, the, we can get into this mentality like, I'm good, you know, and, and, and not really understand the urgency of the gospel being declared to the world. We, 
We can, we can, uh, we can lose sight of the urgency of holiness and, and how important it is to live a confessional life. But under the banner of this, that God is this prodigal God, this lavish God, that when we make one step in his direction, that he comes running to us in a humble expression of embracing us and reconciling us and forgiving us. Man, I hope that you have that visual so that when, not if, you, you have a moment of disobedience, sin, fault, and failure, that, that you remember 1 John 1, 9. That if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just. Do you know that, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but do you know that God wants you to live in rich, intimate relationship with him? He's paid the price. Don't walk in disobedience. Don't walk in unforgiveness. And if there's anybody in your life today, if there's any matter that God has called you to, that he is commissions your heart and you're feeling the weight of it you're feeling the loneliness in isaiah 51 it's it's the prayer of david confessing his his sin with bathsheba and uriah and it says against you and you alone have i sinned but he also says this and my sin is ever before me it's it's there all look god has made a way and he wants us to walk his path and he's relentless about it but I, I, I want to I say this, you know, disobedience will lead, will lead to discipline. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. So listen to what this says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it from the screen. So it is for discipline that you, have been, that, that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? There... there it's, the scripture almost speaks like, of course, that's a part of a father's role. That's what love does. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, all, we, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject, submitted to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good. Listen to this. Please know this. God disciplines us for our good. Count it all joy. Like, it's so important that we understand God's heart and intentions when we come to the... And and guys, if we're honest, a lot of us are like Jonah going, yeah, it's me. I, 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 I know... It's me. We want to blame God or blame others. I mean, that's a part of our nature, but it's me. But check out what it says next. This is, this is God's intention that we may share in his holiness. What is God doing when he disciplines us? Sharing his holiness with us. Sharing himself, his heart. You know what God wanted for Jonah? God, yes, he wanted him to confess, which was what happened on the boat. And then in chapter two, he wanted him to repent. And that's truly a step in that direction. He's heading towards Nineveh, right? With a lot of assistance. Uh, but, 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 on, but the ultimate thing that God is doing, and don't miss this, is God is trying to give him his heart. God wants to give, he wants to set him free from unforgiveness. He wants to liberate him to be an instrument of mercy and grace and love. He is... He is, he's disciplining him in order to share his holiness. The passage continues. 
in verse 11 it says, For the moment, and is this not true? <laughs> For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Right? No kid goes, yay! Something not right, you know, like, but like, it feel, it's painful and not pleasant. But listen, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So it's not even hold, just holiness, it's righteousness. But there's a, there's a criteria here to those who have been trained by it. See, God is training us through obedience. You want to know what the pathway is to sanctification? That, that large word literally means being made into his image, to becoming holy. And this passage helps us to understand this. You know what the, the, the pathway to sanctification is? Obedience. Obedience. That's the pathway to, being, to, to becoming more like him. And then on the other side, God is faithful to discipline to accomplish the same purpose. Look, as a child of God, he's going to get you there. Philippians 1.6 says he's going to finish what he started. He, he's, go, he's going to finish the work and here's the thing. Do you want to, and, and please hear this. Philip, remember this is the one that ran to the chariot, ran to the opportunity. I mean, Philip got to be a part of the Ethiopian eunuch's profession of faith and then he got to baptize him, right? Disappear, that's pretty cool too. But, but like he, he baptizes, the, he leads this guy to Christ and baptizes him. Guys, that's the abundant life. That's the life. Do you think that that, that strengthened his faith? Do you think that added to his, his holiness? Do you think that God's heart was imparted to both individuals in that moment? Or we can be like Jonah, who, you know, God's, God's got a mission there too. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. He's got a calling. And in disobedience, God still gets him to Nineveh. But, it's, but he's, he's like Jacob. He's wrestling with God the whole way. And trust me, it's not a joyful journey. I don't know, but being thrown off a boat into water, swallowed up by a fish, vomited, the ESV says. I don't want to be vomited out by a f- I mean, these are painful experiences, but they're connected. They're a form of discipline to disobedience. They're connected to disobedience. God wants, I mean, what parent wants to have a relationship with their child that is constantly debative and challenging and, and disrespectful and, and disobedient and then disciplined? I mean, you know, a, a parent that is, that, that is loving and biblical is going to be faithful to discipline, right? And, and we're going to get there. The, the, the maturity is going to come, Lord, Lord willing. But it's the, God desires, you know, he says, I desire obedience, not sacrifice, right? Like God desires that we would be, because what are we saying? What are we saying when we, when we obey? Okay, first of all, John 14, 21, I love you, Lord, right? Clearly, that that's a statement that's made when we, when you obey my words, you show that you love me, okay? What else are we saying when we obey? I believe, I trust you. Your way is better than my way. Guys, do you believe this morning that God's way is better? Do you believe this morning that, 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 um, that maybe my mind's a little bit frail in comparison to God's mindset and God's perspective and God's vision. But here's even the better news. Do you believe this morning that God's heart for you is better than even what you have for yourself? Like God loves you 
And that doesn't mean that he's not going to call us into circumstances uh, that, are, that are challenging and hard and painful. Look, he sent his son, right? And it doesn't mean that discipline isn't going to happen when we choose our own way over his. But, but here's the good news, guys. God loved Jonah. And God, do you see the... If you read the whole letter, I encourage you this week, don't just kind of journey through us. This was meant to be read in, in totality. And I love that Jonah, who's the author here? Clearly it's Jonah. I don't know if he penned it or not. We're not sure of that. And it surely was years later. This is de- definitely written in retrospect. But Jonah's telling on himself, right? Jonah's declaring his, his sinful like, segment of life here. And we're beneficiaries of that. And guys, that's the beauty of the scriptures. We look at all these lives, David's failure with Bathsheba. We, we, you know, we, we see all the, we see Joseph's, you know, radical submission to how can I do this thing against the Lord? He says to Potiphar's wife, like we see, and we can find ourselves in a litany of characters along the way. But, but, but please know that the goal in this is that God is trying to reveal to you his heart his purpose, his plan. And he wants you to trust him, as Mary said. He wants you to put your hope and confidence in him. And when we obey, we are screaming to the Lord, I love you. I love. That's, that's how he has self-declared to us <laughs> that we get to say, I love you back to him. Obey my commandments. And let me tell you how loving that is because that is the very best thing for us. It's the best thing for us. So the passage continues. For they called out to the Lord. Here's here's the deal. Jonah's disobedience, God still works all things together for good, right? God still harvested souls of pagan sailors in the midst of his disobedience. The prophet was still being what God made him to be, even in that mode. But this is not an ideal path. It's a painful one. They said this, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, don't you love this? Have done as it pleased you. They acknowledged his sovereignty. So they picked, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Guys, was, was Jonah, was Jonah re- repenting here? No, he was confessing, but there was no repentance. He's just like, he's just wanting out. Because repentance would look more like, okay, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Nineveh, God. Here he's just, and later in chapter 4, he says twice after, you know, his head gets a little hot from the sun. He's like, kill me now, you know. And so, you know, guys, uh, and, and this is not an uncommon experience for us as humans. I mean, look at Elijah. I mean, he, he had a Mount Carmel experience. And the next thing you know, you find him under a broom bush going, I'm the last one, kill me now. You know, like, and, and so we have these moments, but we have to understand, and God ministers to him, heals him, and then later, shortly afterwards, speaks to him in a mountain crevice. It, I mean, it's an awesome thing. But God desperately, desperately wants to, to, to heal us in the midst of even our disobedience to him. And you got to love that. Um, For the Lord has done what is pleasing. So they picked uh, Jonah up, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Now, can you imagine, much like the disciples, you know, with Jesus, they were like, who does this? Like, 
Can you imagine? I love in the, in the, uh, in the, the VeggieTales Jonas movie, like, you know, they throw Jonah in the water. I think he's an asparagus, you know, like he's in the water. And uh, the moment he hits the water, it's like the sun comes out, perfectly calm, you know. Like, I don't know if it went to that, but, but it, the scripture tells us that the sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine how they marveled at the God that Jonah served? And instantly we see that he became their God. And so this was a form of disciple. This was a form of evangelism for sure. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, so I don't know about you, but many have, have, have said, I've heard it said, you know, come on, do you really believe that a guy was swallowed up by a great fish. I mean, come on. I mean, this has to be some sort of like a par- parable or, you know, kind of, there's a, there's a, st- listen, um, we, Jesus, the truth, validates Jonah's life. We see this in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 through 41. And he points to the fact that this is a foreshadowing of resurrection. Listen to what he says. Uh, now, let me, let me just give context here. They were asking him for signs and wonders. They, they, you know, much like Herod was trying to make a, a mockery of him, you know, they were asking for signs and wonders. And this is what Jesus says. But he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise. Think about this. It's talking about, you know, all generations on that day will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented, speaking of Nineveh, at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone greater, Jesus speaking of himself, than Jonah is here. Jesus authenticates something that is very you know, personally, growing up in the Bahamas, um, we, uh, we would dive on the northeast, northeast side of Grand Bahama, which was deep, deep waters. And we would often, often run upon, in fact, Trevor shared, uh, Marty was sharing this morning, that on Friday, they came upon a three to 400 pound Goliath grouper, right? And we would come upon six to 800 pound Goliath grouper, I'm not exaggerating, like giant fish that were t- twice us, you know, and then some. Obviously not weight, I'm talking about length, but, but, um, but the, and you've seen grouper, like their mouths can open tremendously. And we don't even need all that just to say that the scripture is true. And yet Jesus validates the reality of Jonah and points to Jonah as being a sign to all generations, right? And that Jesus would be in the heart of the earth and resurrection, again, pointing to his own resurrection. I don't think it's a coincidence that, Back in the day, before we were politically correct, they were called Jewfish. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. All right. So you know that Goliath groupers were once called Jewfish? I don't know if you know that. Okay. All right. All right. So let's read this piece. Now, I, I want to end with this because this is Jonah's prayer. And today's message was titled, uh, The Psalm of the Prodigal Prophet. Because what we see here in this, in this piece, and again, it's in retrospect, is Jonah is not asking God to deliver him 
from the fish, he is praising and thanking God for the fish as an instrument of deliverance. And, uh, and in here, we start to see a heart being transformed, but it's in the crucible of discipline. And God's going to get it done in us, right? I mean, he's a faithful dad. He's a loving father. My heart for us as we kind of go into this piece, and I want you to just listen through the text as the prophet begins to give thanksgiving and, and really makes some statements like in, chapter, in verse 4 and 6 about, about his faith in God, that he will, he will too see God again. Um, but I, I, want you, I want you to hear today, I, th- I think so often we throw out the fear of the Lord. Even though the scriptures tell us it's the beginning to wisdom, that there's great fruit in the fear of the Lord. And what we're talking about here is reverence and awe. It's kind of like the healthy fear that a child has for their dad's authority um, or their ability to discipline. Now, that, I want you to know that, that God's discipline always comes from a motive of love, uh, a correction that w- would then impart himself and transform us into his image. And so that's his, that he might share his holiness and righteousness with us, right? And, but but this, is not, this is not the ideal path. This is a path, and, and, and I think for us, there should be a healthy fear that if, and God is patient, thank God he is, and he's merciful, and he's compassionate, and he's slow to anger, but, but you know, a lot of us, you know, laugh at Peter, because whether he's on the, the coast of Joppa, you know, uh, having to see the, the food come down three times, or, you know, he's a three-time kind of guy, right? So, like, but don't you, don't you know, like in your heart of hearts, that there's been moments, and maybe you're in that moment right now, where God has asked you to do something, where God has called you to a step, uh, maybe of radical obedience that really confronts. And isn't it interesting that he calls the prophet, we have to get this, in order to confront his hatred and to, to con- confront his brokenness. And, and God will do the same for us. God will... God will point out, he will call us to do things that will, that if, if we're radically obedient, we will experience healing. But if we're not, it will expose our unforgiveness, our brokenness, our prejudice, our pride, our hatred even. God is, God is lovingly relentless in his pursuit of your character. He's lovingly relentless in demonstrating his love to you and through you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not. I mean, if if we don't see anything in this thing, we know we we have to see that God is a God of second chances and third and fourth. (laughs) I mean, like, that's who he is. But he calls us to repentance. He calls us to these things. So listen to the, the, the psalm of this prodigal prophet. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is the realm of the dead, just so we have a definition for that, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep. You cast me into the deep. I mean, literally, it was sailors, right? He understood that this was God's hand 
of discipline. You cast me in the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. He's, he's basically de- describing what? Drowning, right? Um, then he said, I am driven away from your sight. Is that true? No. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. There is a statement of faith. The waters closed in over me uh, to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds or seaweed uh, were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land where bars closed upon me forever. Listen to what it says. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. The Lord, my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in, of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. That was his sacrifice. A, a declaration. I didn't, he didn't have a lot to work with in a belly well, but this was, his, this was his expression of worship. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. I, I just want to give you a couple of observations. Big idea is this. Our Heavenly Father is a God of second chances. Repentance is key. But disobedience leads to discipline. We have to see that. God doesn't want to kill you, but he does want you to die to sin, selfishness, pride, unforgiveness, and hatred. Ultimately, your will and your way. Confession and repentance leads to restoration. I think we see that. The scripture tells us to times of refreshment. And, uh, and we're desperate for that. At this point, Jonah's mind is changed about obeying God's word. But at times, at ta- but as time will reveal, Jonah's heart still has rooted hatred, unforgiveness, and prejudice towards his enemies. The Lord wants us to trust him for his ultimate justice and to live the message that, that changed your life. To live the message that changed your life. God is merciful and kind, full of compassion, and wants all to come to repentance. Application point here. Do you, you know, it says in First uh, Peter 2, to entrust yourself to a faithful creator who judges justly. Like, that's part of letting go of the unforgiveness, the anger and the hatred, the prejudice, is that we put justice in God's hand because you know what? We're terrible at it. It looks more like vengeance and it's painful and it's relationally debilitating and, dis- and dis- it's destructive. God is, God is merciful and kind and methodical and loving in administering his justice. I mean, think about it. We experienced justification or justice when Jesus died in our place. This is God's approach to justice. And we need to, we need to be declaring that message as well to people that are riddled with guilt, riddled with shame, covered in their sin, needing to be liberated and set free. And what God is asking of us is to share with others what I've given to you. Give it away. Give away the good news. Here, obedience to God's mission is the path to sanctification. I mentioned that earlier. 
is you, you want to grow up in the Lord? You want to you grow to become more like him? Follow him. Be radically obedient to God's word. And the more you are salt and, and light, the more you are radically obedient to God's word, the more you're going to be counterculture. You know, in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, uh, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. But verse 2 goes on to say, and, and be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might test and approve what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will is. And it's going to cause you to run very contrary to the pattern, to the plan, to the, to the, to the process of this world. This path is hard because he is working us out and his heart into us. God did not call Moses to kill an Egyptian or to run into a desert, but he used it to prepare the prophet to be his instrument of deliverance. Do we see that? And then you, you see with Joseph, you, the, the son of Jacob, you know, that, that this man just radically obeyed God and God brought about blessings even though he went through betrayal from his own family and false imprisonment. God exalted him. He prepared him for leadership and then gave him influence through, through the process of developing him, sanctifying him. Our Holy Father is faithful to discipline his kids, but this isn't punishment. Jesus took that for us. God has a high calling here to share himself with us, to share himself with us. And I want to close with this piece because I thought it was just something that the Lord just stirred. This message changed like four times this week, <laughs> just from prayer to like, like, but this is what really jumped out for me. Um, his path of sacrificial service leads to be more like him and sharing his heart. That's the whole point of the, of the missional uh, practice of bless. Like this is just a missional practice that allows us to to. to to, to love our neighbors and share the gospel. Like, but we've got to get out of our comfort zone. See, Jonah didn't want to get out of his comfort zone. Jonah didn't want to do what was outside of his own want or, or, or desires. He didn't want to deal with his own contempt. God will initiate those things for us. He will open those doors in order to heal our hearts. As we join God in saving the world, we are saved and transformed. That's what he wants to do. And, he, and do we see that Jonah was changed through even his, his rebellious mode? We see this in the lives of Joseph. We see it in Daniel, in, in radical obedience, no matter what. But it had its challenges for sure. Daniel ended up in a lion's den. But then do you think his faith was expanded when he was delivered? It is interesting that they both became leaders through radical obedience. Listen to what this psalm says. This came to me as a... Rem- I put this up two years ago on Facebook and it popped up again as a memory. And I thought, man, that is so appropriate. And this is what the Psalm 25, 4 and 5 says. Make me to know your ways. Listen to what this says. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. Isn't that awesome? 
Again, I want to say that's Psalm 25, 4 and 5, if you're writing that down. And here's my final statement before I, I'm going to give you just a moment to contemplate and pray through this morning's message. Because if you walk away from here and don't put this into practice, it's dangerous. It's necessary. That's how we build upon the rock. Hear this final thought. It is time to turn to his plan, his way. Throw yourself in. Yield to the Father's heart. It led Joseph to Egypt, Philip to Gaza, and Jonah to Nineveh. Where might it lead you? Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.